Hey, y'all, this is Mary Payne Gilbert. Welcome to Payne in the Pod. Today, I have a super interesting guest. David Peterkowski is the corrector, is the corrector, sorry, is the creator and host of a podcast called For Keeps. This is a podcast about collectors. David talks to people who collect things and he talks to them about their collection and how it came to be. And he delves into the why they collect what they do, which I think is the most interesting part. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. How'd I do on your last name? You did great. And, and I am a corrector as well, just so you know. <laughs> You're a corrector <laughs> and a collector and a creator. Yes. So, you know, I love your the idea of your podcast about talking to people that collect things because everybody does collect something, you know, whether they it's something huge or something weird, like the little girl down the street used to collect um, used batteries. So, you know, you just never know. But I love your podcast tagline, which is a podcast about collections and connections. And so have you found that the connections that people have with their collections have been the most interesting part of talking to these people? Yeah, I do tell people frequently that what's collected is almost secondary to the motivation for the collecting. Um and I really wanted the show to be about people and to be positive and to sort of celebrate the things that keep people excited about life. And if their interests happen to take them in sort of an unusual bent, well, then so be it. Let's uh, let's hear about it and let's hear why it's happening. Right. So that would naturally lead me into my first question, which was about the guy who has the world's largest collection of condoms. <laughs> Which to me was hilarious because you get into it and you think, well, this has got to be some kind of a weirdo, but he's actually carrying on his father's tradition of collecting condoms. That's right. It's the the, the strangest father-son bonding story you'll probably ever hear. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was funny. He kept talking about how he and his dad would go into the sexy shops. Yes. And to be clear, he is in Italy. He's based in Italy and English isn't his first language. So right. He, he had some sort of charming... Uh, uh, ways of saying things in uh, his non-native language. But uh, yeah, the story ultimately was just about his dad and, and how interesting a guy his dad was. Um, and, and not only did his dad have this sort of interesting hobby of collecting, and, and he collected a bunch of things. Condoms was just one of them. But after his passing, the son thought it would be a nice tribute to his dad to not only keep the collection, but actually add to it. So he's done a little bit of that himself. So to me, that was interesting in that it's sort of a, a second-generation collector story in a way, which is, is fairly unique. Um, and, of course, the subject matter is, you know, pretty funny. <laughs> His dad at the end there when you were talking to him, and he was like, oh, my dad collected, you know, matchbooks and coffee mugs. And he just – the list went on and on and on. And I was like, his dad may have been a hoarder. Yeah, well, I I don't know, and I never ask that. <laughs> and, and I certainly don't mention the H word. Um I would have to say that of all the people I've spoken with, there really aren't anyone – there hasn't been anyone who I've been sort of concerned about their psychological well-being. I mean, I just see it as sort of an interesting quirk about them. Um, but yeah, I, I did ask the space question. I think I asked uh, Massimo, the son, if he actually you know slept outside because his dad had so much stuff. Yes. And the answer was no, thankfully. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was definitely an interesting insight into uh, his dad's psyche and uh, kind of funny at the same time. Yes. I thought it was, other than the subject matter, I thought it was sort of sweet how he was trying to carry on his dad's. And that's that sort of leads to the point of how I like the tagline for your podcast about the collections and connections, because it does seem that 
sometimes these things are very, very personal. And the two that I love the most just because of my age is the girl who collected the lunch boxes and the lady, I said girl, it's probably a lady, and the lady who collected the Brady Bunch memorabilia, just because it's such a throwback to my own childhood. Uh-huh. And I don't and, know and, how old you are, but it struck a chord with me. Yeah, we're probably, I'm guessing, around the same age. And, and certainly uh, I grew up watching the Brady Bunch. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, my mother heard that episode and she was like, I didn't realize how much Brady Bunch you were watching growing <laughs> up. I was like, well, yeah, after school I'd come home and there was the TV and that's what we did. But yeah, the Brady Bunch is something that is, it, it's a pop culture icon almost at this point. And so one of the things I've thought about doing and trying to find people to interview is I will actually literally Google a pop culture item or something and then with the word collector after it and just see what comes up. And that was actually how I found that particular person. Oh, um, well, that's interesting. So I, I thought, I don't know what I thought how you found these people. If you went on eBay and saw people that were looking for weird things. No, that's actually not a bad idea. But um, no, often it'll be, you know, I'll be driving to work or something. I'll be like, hey, that, that's something that people like quite a bit. Let's Let's Google around. And I also now have started looking on Instagram to see what people are posting pictures of. Um, that's how I found uh, a guy who's really into the 80s group Millie Vanilli. And that was the subject of another episode. Yes. Here, let me turn my page because I definitely uh, have him on my list to talk about. Now, what did you make of this guy? Because I went to your website to look at your pictures and show notes for your various shows. And since I had listened to the Millie uh, Vanilli one, which my autocorrect, I'm realizing, says Millie Vanilla. Um, <laughs> what um, what did you make of that guy? Because he certainly didn't look like what I would think a Millie Vanilli collector would look like. Yeah, well, no dreadlocks like the uh, the guys from the group. <laughs> right. Um, I thought he was perfect, actually, in a way, because he he's a guy who lives in, I think, Indiana, and he, he just developed a fascination with that group. And even though they sort of were uh, became a, a, the butt of a lot of jokes after their scandal, their lip-syncing scandal in the early 90s, he, he was still kind of fascinated with them and fascinated in particular with the one surviving member's uh, work to kind of overcome this shame of, of having a Grammy stripped away from him and to carve out a career in music. And he finds that inspiring. And to me, that that made it interesting. You know, it'd be one thing to have a bunch of CD singles and cassette singles going back to the 80s. You know, it's another where he's really attracted to the story of this particular individual in the group and actually had a personal connection with him. They, they had a phone call, uh, I think, back in around 2002. And that was, you know, I think a highlight of the guy's life. So it was kind of interesting to go back and and talk to him about why that was so interesting to him and and what beyond the music itself appealed to him about the band. Yes, I thought I, I thought it was really neat because he was saying, you know, way back in the day there would be message boards and things and that he had uh put a question on the message board and he was so excited when he, you know, probably dial up, logged into his computer the next day and saw that his question was the first one on the message board and that eventually it was Rob, right? That got, or is, or is Rob the one that died? Is Rob it, died. It was Fab. Fab. It was Fab. Okay. Rob and Fab. And that Fab had gotten in touch with him. And, um, you know, I think that actually turns out to be kind of sweet because he offered to sing at his wedding and, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> turned out to be quite a, a connection they had. Yeah. My dream was to have, uh, to organize it so that, uh, I would get that to actually happen because the collector actually just got married not that long ago. It was a little 
private ceremony and they were planning a big shindig. I was like, well, wouldn't that be cool if I could get the guy from Milli Vanilli 15 years later to come sing at his, his big party that they were planning? Um, and and uh, if you listen to the episode, you'll hear what happens. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> I really do. I just love the, the passion like that guy has uh, about the things that he collects. But I did really like the guy who talked about the Ouija boards or Ouija, depending on how you want to say it. Um, although I was kind of scared of the whole situation. <laughs> but I, I would thought was what was interesting that I found out was that the Ouija board originated in Baltimore. Yes. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I was, well, I was like you. I was imagining like a castle in Transylvania or something. <laughs> but but yeah. don't you find the backstory to some of this stuff just to be like, you just, you're going to learn something no matter what with each episode, you know? Yeah, for sure. And you know, when you hear about a guy who's got a thousand Ouija boards in his basement, you probably picture a certain kind of <laughs> scary individual as well. And he's just this nice, charming guy who is just passionate about Ouija boards. Yeah. He was saying, oh, these certain boards are for angels and these certain boards are for something else. And that, you know, when the Ouija board starts moving and people really get scared. And I'm thinking, I think that I tried to do that so many times, you know, in high school at a sleepover. And, you know, you'd always accuse your friend, you're moving it. No, you're moving it. <laughs> but he seemed to be, uh, he seemed to be really, you know, no pun intended, on board with the Ouija board. <laughs> That's right. And I love that he gave himself the title the chairman of the board of the Talking Board Historical Society. <laughs> that's good uh, marketing. I need to get over there to Baltimore and see what that's about. Uh-huh. Um, something else that I really loved was the Museum of Failure. Ah, uh, yes. Now, I could have listened to that guy talk all day. He has, just for my listeners all the products that have failed, such as fat-free potato chips with Alestra or some various Apple products. And he was saying Apple's had a lot of failed products. Um, Where is that museum? Because I would really like to go there. So that's actually a traveling exhibit. And he is a psychologist based in Sweden. And he has collected these items over the years. I think he's gotten a lot of them them on eBay. And I think people have actually given them to him, knowing that he's interested in this. And the exhibit just periodically pops up in different places. It was in L.A., I think, last year. Uh, I think it's wrapping up a run in Shanghai, China at the moment. And oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, he, he's, he's making the rounds. And, uh, you know, he has a, a, a full-time career, of course, but this is sort of a secondary thing he's done. And what's interesting to me is that it all kind of ties together. He, his specialty is organizational psychology. So it's, you know how business groups can use psychology to work through adversity and failure and find success. So this really dovetails quite nicely with uh, his professional interest. Yeah, I thought he was a cool guy. Okay, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. All right, we're back. Another episode I liked, just because I'm always interested in um, writers and authors, I loved the guy that collected the typewriters. 
<laughs> yes. And his whole thing was he doesn't just want a typewriter. It has to be a famous typewriter. And the person, he prefers that they were on the cover of Time magazine. And he had some pretty famous typewriters. And isn't he – did he say he's like the chief of police of L.A. or something? Uh, he is – yeah, he's the – at the moment, I think after I recorded that, he, he went back up to become the president of the Los Angeles Police Commission. Wow. So he's on the board sort of overseeing the LAPD. Uh, the head of it. And yeah, he's, uh, from what I could tell, a, a guy with a few dollars at his disposal and has managed to find typewriters. He's less interested in the model of the typewriter or the make or any of that stuff. He wants typewriters that were owned by people who were famous. And he has John Lennon's typewriter. He has George Bernard Shaw's typewriter. Uh, he, he had a list of, I think, about 30 plus typewriters that he uh, he keeps, he restores, and then periodically he'll uh, use those typewriters at fundraisers where, pe- where people will have the chance to actually type something on you know, John Lennon's typewriter or whatever, and they'll pay for the privilege to do so. So it's kind of a, a cool story in that it's this unique spin on, on collecting, but also there's a philanthropic angle to it. Right, and he had the Unabomber's typewriter. Yes. Which, which was a little – creepy. It was a little creepy. And I thought what was interesting about that. He said, you know, just sort of as a side comment, he said, um, yeah, I didn't have a cover on it because he used it to make a bomb. Yeah. I was, like, I was like, oh, wow. And I thought that was interesting. He didn't have any typewriters from any presidents, but I wonder if that's because they go into, you know, presidential museums. Yeah, that's possible. I, we didn't get into that. Uh, I did ask him, I think, what typewriters or whose typewriters he was hoping to acquire. And he, he mentioned Woody Allen, who famously writes all his screenplays on typewriters. I don't know if the uh, the current Me Too movement has, has changed <laughs> his opinion of Woody Allen. It's changed a lot of people's opinion. But uh, who knows? Maybe that'll end up in his collection too. Sidebar, I saw Woody Allen a couple of weeks ago. I was in New York at a restaurant and he was there with Soon Yi. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You can't, you can't mistake him. He had that little hat on that he always has on his... Yeah, that's a sidebar. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the episode that I listened to, not knowing what I would think about it or necessarily like being, you know, gravitating towards it when I was looking at your long list of episodes, was the one about the the guy at Baylor who's studying about this particular artist who did the artwork for gospel albums. Mm-hmm. And that episode really spoke to me because I do, you know, like gospel music. I mean, I grew up in the South, but it was so much the interesting part of the artist and these album covers being collector's items. But then the guy went into the whole story about how little the artist was paid and that it's become this collector's item to get these certain album covers from this artist. Now, how did you find out about him? You know, I think I went down the Google rabbit hole one day. What I really love to do is find stories about collectors that involve a little bit of mystery or some sort of unique angle. And I think I might have typed into Google, you know, mysterious artist or something. And then I found an article on this this uh, album designer. And I read more and more about him, found out that he had, had kind of a cult following. And then I was basically in search at that point of somebody who was collecting this guy's work. And so I went to, I think it's the Journal of Gospel Music and, I, and an, another radio station that plays a lot of gospel, or, or there's a DJ who has a gospel show on this radio station. And I said, do you know anyone who fits the bill? And no one was coming to mind. And then after a couple of months, 
I got an email back, said, hey, we found somebody. It's this guy at Baylor University in Texas. He's actually doing his master's thesis on this artist. He wants to tell the guy's story. And what's interesting about the artist is that he signed his paintings with just one name, Harvey. So there was a lot of speculation as to who Harvey was because there was no last name. Nobody really knew. And it was this he, – he was this cult-like figure basically. And over time, thanks to the internet, Harvey's sister found all the hubbub and all the tributes to her brother's uh, artwork and she sort of stepped forward. And now we know who Harvey is and this grad student, Robbie Rogers, who I interviewed – is now feverishly collecting all the albums he can get. Uh, he's become a real devotee of the artwork and the music, and it's just kind of a fun story. And again, what what was interesting to me wasn't the collection. It's not that he had hundreds and hundreds of albums. He actually only had, I don't know, a dozen or so when I talked to him, but he was adding to it. What was interesting to me is that his passion led him to become a collector, and there was this great backstory behind it. So that had everything for me. When I, when I found out about him and that story, I was dying to make it work, and I guess I did. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. And, it, you know, of course, it made me interested to go and look and see what the artwork looked like. And it was very sort of Salvador Dali. It was very sort of, you know, bendy items that shouldn't be bending and dripping kind of a thing. And what I thought was interesting was this guy did all these album covers for gospel albums, but he wasn't religious at all. So he would just draw things like what he would like literally like blood from a cross, you know, that is a reference to Jesus and all that. And he would just draw a cross with a giant thing of blood, you know, just very literal, but the drawings were incredible. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I can't remember how I described it. Sunday school surrealism, I think, is the term I used. <laughs> yeah, that fits. So it's interesting with podcasts, right? So you, you you go into it thinking like, well, this may not interest me. I'm just going to give it a quick listen. You know, it, for example, me, I listen to a lot, so I'm just trying to prepare. But I ended up being just mesmerized by that story because at the end of the day, you know, it, it's not necessarily about what they're collecting, but the story behind it. Yeah, it has to be. Equal parts, at least for me, that's the ideal because, I mean, I've had so many people come up to me and say, oh, you should talk to my cousin. He has a collection of Star Wars figurines or whatever. And it's like, well, okay, he's just a guy with, you know, 30 Boba, Boba Fetts in his <laughs> spare bedroom. That doesn't necessarily make for a good story. Um, so I try to be somewhat uh, judicious in what I choose to pursue. Let me ask you this. I didn't see on your list. Did you ever interview anybody who collected Beanie Babies? I have not. There's so many things that over time I, I could get to. Uh, why? Do you know somebody? <laughs> I don't. But I just remember, you know, back when I was, I guess, high school, I guess that was like the huge thing. Like it has to have the tag attached and it has to have this. And then when eBay came around, the, you know, the prime beanie babies were always the thing. And I guess, you know, just like, why would you collect condoms? Like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't get the thing with the beanie babies. And then I wonder how much they've held their value from that heyday of when everybody had to have, oh, you got the special Beanie Baby in your McDonald's Happy Meal. Like, oh, that's going to be worth a lot someday. Don't take the tag off, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, that just came to me. I was like, I wonder if he did interview a Beanie Baby collector and I missed it. No, you, ha you haven't missed it. And anything's possible. I mean, I would, because I'm not really into being a Beanie Baby, so I'll, I'll cop to that right now. Um, I would need some sort of an angle to it, like if there was some sort of, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just making this up off the top of my head, but some sort of family feud over a Beanie Baby and who got 
you know, possession of it after somebody died or some sort of Beanie Baby drama, I think that yeah. would really help my cause. So if anyone knows of any Beanie Baby <laughs> related uh, crazy stories, you know, f- come find me. Yeah, like they're fighting over the will because somebody got the Beanie Babies and it's worth a million dollars or something like that. Yeah, yes. or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So we'll see. <sighs> Well, okay, how many of your guests so far have been in the Guinness Book of World Records? You know, I was just thinking about that. I, I think it's only three, which, you know, I really need to hit that Guinness Book more often to to, <laughs> to mine it. Um, the condom collector is in there. And then two people I spoke with early on are in there. Uh, one woman who has the world's largest collection of slinkies. Oh, yeah. Um, and then also... A woman who has the largest collection of Winnie the Pooh memorabilia. Wow. Where does, yeah. she, where does she keep all that stuff? Yeah, she's <laughs> got a decent-sized house in the suburbs of Milwaukee, and uh, her husband is very tolerant of her interest. And <laughs> At they least may not have much furniture, but they got all the, <laughs> uh, the Winnie the Pooh stuff everywhere. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so I was just laughing. I'm still laughing about the Winnie the Pooh. I'm just imagining like all their furniture is like a big Winnie the Pooh chair that you could sit in <laughs> or like a blow up couch. And then they've got, you know, the little ear. I'm just, I'm, I'm now I'm going back to like the 50s. They've got the rabbit ears on top of the TV. They're shaped like Winnie the Pooh. I'm getting a whole, I'm getting a whole scene in my head. Yeah, well, there's a, I do have one picture on the website. And uh, if you ever happen to have a Guinness book near you, you could see, I think a couple other pictures too. There's one picture of her lying in the spare bedroom with all these stuffed animals around her. Huh. She's being swallowed up in a sea of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> At least it's cute and not creepy. Yes. Um, I was going to ask you about the Guinness Book. You know, when, we, when I was younger, that was like a thing. Like it would come out and we would really look at it. You, everybody remembers the conjoined twins or the long fingernails or – and then it seems like all the time on the Today Show or GMA or something, they're always doing like, today's the day we're going to break the world hula hoop, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. And so I guess for people that collect or have these goals, that the Guinness Book of World Records is still really a thing. Yeah, it is. And it's actually not that easy to get into it. You know, it's not like you snap a couple photos on your phone and email them in and that's it. Um, with the... Well, in all three of the instances where I, I spoke with Guinness record holders, they had to catalog every item they had, get witnesses to swear that the count was accurate, and then submit all that uh, to the Guinness office, I think, in Great Britain. I think that's where it is. Um, oh. and, and then 
yeah, then certification comes after that, presumably if they meet the standard. So um, actually the condom collector uh, sent me a photo of all the condoms laid out in the sort of the courtyard in front of their house uh, for when they did the count for the, uh, the Guinness book. And it's, uh, it's a lot of condoms. I'm sure the neighbors were thrilled. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do you, you listen to a lot of podcasts, I take it. I do. So, so tell. This is what I always ask at the end of my podcast. I am always looking for new podcast ideas, and sometimes it's like, "Be careful what you wish for," because now I have millions to listen to. But, what kind of podcast are you interested in? And tell me some some really good ones. Yeah, um, my interests are they tend to be story based. I guess there has to be some sort of a good story. I, I tend to listen to them in the car. So, uh, if they're, they're the kind of thing where you know. Uh, when I'm trying to make a left turn for too long and I get distracted and I miss two minutes of <laughs> of the story and yes. I have to go rewind, I, I, I don't hang in there. So I, I need something that's really sort of story-based and tells a personal story. That's ideal for me. Um, there's a show – I don't even know if it's a podcast per se or a, a podcast version of a radio program out of England called Outlook. Mm-hmm. And they bill it as a show that spotlights uh, like first-person stories from all over the world and – it's total human interest stuff. They had a, a, an interesting episode recently about a Japanese actor who was hired to play the husband for single women who have to like visit their family and <laughs> pretend that they're married so as not to bring shame upon the family or whatever. Um, That's awesome. So that was, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and then they had another one. Of, uh, it was a, a story of triplets who were separated at birth. And I think that story also got featured – in a CNN documentary not too long ago. But that was really fascinating. Yes, I saw that. I, the name of it just went out of my head right when you said it. But yes, I saw that, and that really spoke to me. My dad is a twin, and then my first cousins that I'm really close with are also twins. I sent it to them, and I said, just watch this, and can you imagine You know, your life? Yeah. And, and then you come across this person that looks exactly like you, and then there's another one. You yes. Know? It was completely surreal and, and, and crazy. But uh, the way they told it on that podcast was very effective. So if you are looking for one more mm-hmm. podcast, Outlook is, is where you ought to go. Um, there's another good one I like, uh, and it's I really like this show. It almost feels like uh, not quite a, a companion piece to what I do because my, my stories tend to get wackier. But there's a show called Second Act Stories. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. No. Yeah. Um, it's It's – Basically, stories of people who've made major career changes and are pursuing like more rewarding lives in a second act, sort of the second half of their lives. Um, and the stories are mostly told in their own words. I mean, there's there's interview portions as well, and sometimes they bring in friends and family to talk about helping these people find a new path. So you'll find people who are stockbrokers, and all of a sudden they become monks, like things like that. Um, wow, that would be quite yeah. a leap. Yeah, there are a lot of really interesting sort of sharp turns that people make. And what I like about it is, again, it's sort of this idea of pursuing your passion, pursuing what's what's inside you, what's driving you versus, you know, money or whatever. So, uh-huh, yeah, um, that actually so sounds sec- right up my alley. Uh-huh. So look for second act stories. Um, there's another one I like. It's an independently produced show. It's called The Carolina Shout. Okay. And that is a music podcast. And it's uh, really about ragtime and like New Orleans jazz. And the host is this very self-deprecating guy. His name is Ethan Uslin. And he, he picks a theme and he'll talk about the theme 
sort of self-deprecatingly, and then he'll play a song, and he's a terrific piano player. And each episode is kind of like a short, almost like a private concert just for you. And he's actually had a couple of really interesting special guests. Uh, One was Jesse Eisenberg, the actor. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who apparently is a family friend. That's how we got him on the show and had him sit in his living room in Charlotte, North Carolina, or wherever he's based. Uh, and then he had another one with Will Shorts, who's the New York Times crossword puzzle editor. So there's a lot of like sort of witty back and forth between the host and the guests, and then he play a song, and it's really fun. It sounds like something that you would hear on public radio, honestly. Yeah. Um, so I'd well, recommend that. Well, listen, you've given me three things I've never heard of in my life. <laughs> that's what we, that's what we love here at Pain in the Pod, like brand new things that we've never heard of. There you go. Do you have any standby podcasts you listen to that everybody else also listens to? Um, let's see. Uh, I like 99% Invisible. That's... Everybody keeps telling me about this, and I've never listened to it. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah. It's a really good one. It's been around a long time, too. And it's I, you know what it's about, basically about design, but design of things that other people might not even notice, basically. Yes. So they'll devote a whole episode to like elevator buttons or something like that. Um, that's wow. a good one. There's um, – are you familiar with 20,000 Hertz? No. That's a show about sound. H- H-E-R-T-Z. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, other than 99% Invisible, you have uh, given me all sorts of new things that I've never heard of. So that is fantastic. Yes. Well – well, happy to spread the word on anything good. Yeah. Well, I am um, thrilled to have found out about your podcast. And I think that I found out about your podcast the way you find out about your collectors. I just Googled like top podcast of 2018 or, you know, something like that. And various lists will pop up. And from there, I will look and say, hmm, that looks good. That looks like it would interest me. And that's how I came across yours. And then somebody along the way also told me about it. And I was like, that's on my list. So I am um, super, super excited to talk to you. And I would recommend everybody go and listen to For Keeps because it's definitely a story there for everyone. And like the, like with me, with the gospel albums, it, there's ones on there you wouldn't maybe necessarily think you'd be interested in. And then you're just blown away by the story. Uh huh. Did you yeah. catch the diary episode, by the way? That one I saw. Um, I saw it was of somebody who collected diaries, but I did not click on it. Tell me. If oh, I real quick. He's, yeah. uh, he's based in England and he's uh, a researcher. He works at one of the big museums in London and he is passionate about preserving diaries that are discarded. So he's collected like 8,000 of them or something like that. And he's cataloged them. They're cataloged in a part of a library in London. And uh, that's pretty he's cool. A very, yeah, he's a really interesting guy, too. So. Okay. Well, I'll listen to that one next, then. All right. Well, thank you so much. And tell my listeners where they can find out more about you and your podcast. Okay. Well, the most logical place to start, I guess, would be the website, which is forkeepspodcast.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and I begrudgingly went on to Facebook. I'm not a huge <laughs> Facebook fan, but I, I, was like, I guess I better do it. Uh, all at For Keeps Podcast. All one word. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I would recommend everybody go and listen to For Keeps. All right. Thank 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 you, you, David.